Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, August 24th, game day edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Game one coming up tonight, 7 o'clock, Flyers Islanders. In this episode, we'll hear from the captain. Claude Giroux will check in on the Montreal series on what lies ahead in round number two against the Islanders. you hear that conversation I had with the captain coming up in just a minute. Also, Bill Meltzer will join us with a thorough stem to stern breakdown and preview of Flyers Islanders. These two teams have not faced each other in the Stanley Cup playoffs since 1987, if you can believe that. And they'll renew a rivalry with a best of seven round for the right to move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. But let's get right to my conversation with Flyers captain Claude Giroux. Joining us right now on Flyers Daily, fresh off a series victory over the Montreal Canadiens. I'm sure it felt really good to get that one. Not only the series victory, but over La Habitant, the captain, Claude Giroux, joins us right now. Claude, how you doing? Pretty good yourself. Doing good. Uh, moment to exhale after it was all over, knowing, okay, we got one series in the books and we can move forward? Yeah, it was a pretty intense series. It was, uh, it was a fun one to play. Uh, both teams uh, played well defensively and uh, obviously two uh, two great goalies. And um, to be able to uh, to get to get the first series, over with and move on to the second. It's uh, uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. Do, do you have a uh, a little bit of time in between the series to just exhale, enjoy the fact that you got by one before you go right back into big time concentration mode and preparation mode for the next one? Do you have a day to at least kind of get your feet back under you and kind of just enjoy the moment? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, last night we uh, uh, we kind of just uh, got together, and uh, today it's kind of a day off. So uh, trying to put our uh, uh, try not to think about it too much. Just kind of enjoy the day off. Have a have a day off uh, physically and mentally. And uh, starting tomorrow, we're uh, we're going right back into it. Dealing with the Canadians, you know, you, you can get a preconceived notion what a team is based on a regular season, but you quickly find out that things can be far different come playoff time. Uh, what was it about that Canadians team that was that made them such a worthy opponent and and one that was definitely not an easy out for you guys? Yeah, they were uh, they were a fast team. The uh, uh, their transition was was really good. Um, you know, they have uh, Shea Weber in the back. He kind of he's good at controlling the game. And um, Carey Price made some. Uh, he was he he was hard to beat. So uh, I think we did a good job of uh, sticking uh, sticking with the game plan, uh, knowing what we're doing is gonna make us win. So. Uh, and and that's what happened. Uh, their team too. They really pressured you guys uh, when they were on the PK, um, and the power play for a lot of the series struggled for you guys. The one game though, you guys were able to get the three power play goals. Uh, when, when the power play struggling like that, what's kind of uh, you know the mentality to get out of it? Is it to simplify? Is it uh, to to try and be more precise, or or is it just kind of let things kind of come as they come? Uh well. I- I think everybody that's on the unit, I think we do a good job of uh, communicating. And, um, you know, after I think it was game five, they, they kind of adjusted and, um, and then we just made sure we're on the same page and uh, we just, we just have to take what they're, they're, uh, they're giving us. So, um, you know, sometimes the power play, it's not about the scoring, it's about getting the momentum. And, um, you know, that's, uh, uh, I think uh, we did that, I thought, in the last game. Um, Claude, one of the the strategies you guys uh, adopted, I saw it a couple occasions, 
was you passing the puck off uh, off uh, uh, the kick plate, if you will, behind the net on an angle pass to Jake to try and create an opportunity that way. Those kick plates in, in Toronto are very lively. Uh, it's it's an interesting strategy. Who came up with that one? We uh, we actually used to do that uh, maybe a few years back, me and Jake. And uh, I just remember I I just kind of got a flashback when I got the puck on uh, on the ice, and I saw him. He was kind of low, and if I could get a way to get the puck to him there, uh, he'd be able to to get an opportunity. And uh, I just I it just kind of happened. It worked out good. It was. It's extremely frustrating for a goalie to have to kind of read that too. It's a really bizarre player on a goalie. But um, let me ask you this, Claude, because you know you guys you end up getting outscored in the series, but you end up winning the series in six. Uh, what do you guys need to do to be more offensive against the Islanders if the series calls for that? Because there's no guarantee that it's going to be a wide open series. You played them to five three uh, scores two games and four three another. So some high scoring games, but you know how they are defensively under Barry Trotz. Uh, what's going to be the key to really getting to them and being effective offensively? Yeah, I think they're uh, a pretty responsible team. Uh, they play well defensively. Um, to be honest, I haven't haven't really watched their games, or I don't really know what to expect. I think uh, today is kind of a day off mentally, and uh, tomorrow we're uh, uh, we're all going to get together here and uh, and kind of kind of go over the game plan and knowing what to expect and what we should do. So. Um, you know, it should be uh, uh, it should be fun to see the game plan. And when you look at the the situation for you guys, um, and and dealing with you know go, going through the playoffs and the preparation that goes into it, um, how's it been for for you um, with no fans? Now that you're through around, you know, you don't have them there to yell shoot all the time, which is I guess is an interesting element. But uh, how's it been for you to with no fans and and trying to you know get your game in order and and be effective and not have the crowd to kind of push momentum in certain directions. Yeah, I think momentum's huge with uh, when there's no fans. Um, the for sure the Philly fans can can bring some momentum towards us. Or uh, so right now it's early on. It was kind of weird, uh, but you know what? You're you're kind of you're kind of focused on the game. Your uh, your adrenaline's going. You're not really focusing on the, if there's fans or no fans. So uh, I think uh, guys are slowly getting used to it. Uh, last thing for you, Claude. Um, you're going to take on this Islanders team uh, with a chance to move on to a, to a conference final. Um, have you been watching some of the other games uh, around and, in the bubble? Because I know that you know, in talking to, to Hazy, he was saying you know the games are always on. And, you know, we're kind of in this environment. Uh, you haven't seen a lot of uh, the Islanders yet, but it, have you been watching a lot of the other action, whether you know out in Edmonton or or in Toronto? Yeah, I mean, anywhere we are, the, the games on TV and. Uh, we could be eating or just just hanging out, and there's always TV, uh, hockey on on TV. So uh, it's kind of be uh, it's it's kind of fun that there's always games on and stuff. Uh, you don't really, well, I I personally don't really focus on the game. I, you know, there's two different ways to watch a game. You can study the game or you can just just watch it. So uh, you know, so I'm just kind of enjoying the uh, the games when uh, when we're not playing. A little observation mode. I like that. Um, hey, thanks for doing this, Claude. Congrats on the series win. I know uh, uh, beating Montreal, it's a big deal and, and certainly uh, a good win for you guys. And uh, best of luck coming up against the Islanders. Everybody back here in Philly is getting really excited, man. And this is going to be a fun series between uh, two very good teams. Yeah.
Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Claude Drew, one of the players on this team that's going to look to get their game going offensively coming up in round number two against the Islanders. Drew with a couple or three assists in that first round, uh, but he'll be looking to do more damage. And it's weird because you see teams around the NHL round to round. For example, I look at a team like the Dallas Stars who are 29th in goal scoring through the regular season had trouble scoring at 5-on-5, couldn't score, period. Then all of a sudden, they go up against the Colorado Avalanche in round two. They found their scoring touch in round one after not finding it the entire regular season. About midway through that round one against Calgary, and then in game one against a seemingly invincible opponent in Colorado, they put up a bunch of goals on that team as well. Flyers will look to duplicate that. The puck out of their own net, like they did against Montreal for the most part, but also get the goal scoring and get it from their top five scorers, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, Kevin Hayes, and James Van Riemsdyk. We'll see if they can, in fact, do that exact thing. For a series preview with the Islanders, here's my conversation with Flyers insider Bill Meltzer. Ready to preview round number two of the Stanley Cup playoffs as the Philadelphia Flyers get set to take on the New York Islanders. And joining us right now, wrote a great piece on NHL.com. You read his work there. You read it on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com and Hockey Buzz as well. Bill Meltzer joins us. Bill, welcome to the second round. Thank you. Yeah, it uh, should be a really, really interesting series. You know, it's uh, in, in some ways, Montreal is a little bit like Mon- or rather the Islanders a little bit like Montreal. In some ways, it's a totally different kind of matchup. So it should be, you know, pretty uh, – Pretty fun to watch. You know, it's so interesting, Bill, because to me, um, I I look at the playoffs and you look at what a team was, I guess, this year through 69 to 72 regular season games. And come playoff time, a lot of times it goes out the window because a team in the playoffs is so far different from what they were in a regular season. We saw that with Montreal and they had some young players that got to get away from the rink, recharge physically, emotionally bulk up in some manner too for guys like Kakaniemi and Suzuki. Um, but there's, there's, they can be so different from what they were in the regular season. Real quick, before we get to the Islanders, I just want to look at Montreal. They were a great possession team in the regular season, despite yeah. their lack of success. And in your opinion, what was the reason why they kind of gave the Flyers as many fits as they did? Well, I think, I think that was just it. The Montreal was the second best possession team in, in the NHL. Uh, they shoot in a lot of volume, so they would shoot from from all angles on the ice. That can sometimes create a lot of chaos. They they attack with a lot of speed, you know. And and as the series went along, too, they were their D were pinching pretty aggressively, and they were they were pretty good holding pucks in when the Flyers were trying to clear. So they'd get in these cycles where they were you know hemmed in their own zone for a long time. And even once you get out, all you could do is dump it in and, and change lines, um, you know. But I, I think ultimately, though. Um, the games that the Flyers were, were playing from ahead, and this is really why they won the series. The Flyers' closeouts in those third periods of the four games that they won, um, you know, even in, even some of the games where maybe the shot totals weren't what you wanted, except for game one where the Flyers pretty well dominated possession in the third period of that one. But the other games, Montreal had most of the possession, but they didn't get a lot of quality chances. And what quality chances they did get, Carter Hart stopped. So, you know, when, once the Flyers were, were – they scored first, and they were, you know, went into the third period leading. They didn't cough up a single lead, and that's really ultimately what won the series for Philly. Yeah, and you're talking about some zero margin for error third periods here. You're yep. talking about a one nothing game, a 2-1 game, a 2 nothing, and then obviously the clincher, a 3-2 game to be able to clamp down like that and finish a game. Um, when you look back at the season for the Flyers, clamping down in third periods over the 69 games they played, pretty good there as well during the regular season. 
they, they, they really were, you know, um, now the Islanders were kind of an aberration to that. Um, you know, the Flyers had that, that one game, but I, you know, I, I mean, you throw out the regular season series anyway, but the game with the Flyers lost that three, nothing lead in, in the third period. And, you know, you don't want to offer up any excuses because you have to play the game that's in front of you and, and nobody feels sorry for you if you, you know, don't hold on to the lead. But that was, that was that stretch between November 2nd and November 10th where the Islanders played twice and the Flyers were playing four times in six nights, and they were the end of that stretch for that game. That third period of that last game of a stretch like that can be a haul for any team, and it, it kind of went that way. The Flyers ran out of gas, I thought, in that third period. Different situation, different team here. But, I mean, that was that was one game you look back where the Flyers had a big lead in the third period, and they, you know, they blew that one. Then there was the other one in February where the Flyers had a, a point in hand in the last minute of the play, and, and I think it was Pulak scored. So, you know, it, it's uh, – you know, but I think against most teams this year, when the Flyers have been an opportunity to close out games, they've done it, and that, that's really become part of the part of the team's identity that they they know how to finish out a game. You know, when they're playing from ahead, I mean that's that's one of the that's one of the positive things that's developed this season, and it's part of it's part of as, as Chuck Fletcher said the other day, that's part of the identity that's developed too. Yeah, and you know that's interesting. That game in February that they played against um, the Islanders and lost it. They ultimately ended up losing five to three. They battled all the way back to tie that game and then lost the lead pretty much immediately. And that was actually a back to back for the Flyers. They played Florida the night before. Then they went on to play yeah. Florida after that as well and beat them in both ends of that uh, home and home, but uh, lost the game in between to the Islanders. Bill, it's interesting too because when you you look at the Islanders and and we know that when Barry Trotz got there. So much changed. They shaved 102 goals off from the Jack Capuano, Doug Waite, New York Islanders to the Barry Trotz year to year. They went from giving up the most goals in the NHL prior to Trotz's arrival to giving up the least amount. This year, they're a team, uh, once again, that any team that Barry Trotz is coaching, they're not going to give up a tremendous amount. They only give up 190 goals uh, this season, fifth in the NHL. Flyers only had 191. They were eighth in the NHL. But um, you look at the Islanders and you look at the fact that they're a team that traditionally doesn't trade chances or give up a lot of goals, yet the Flyers and Islanders this year played uh, two eight-goal combined games and a seven-goal combined game. So it's a bit of an outlier. Yeah, that, 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 yeah exactly. I mean, you, you know, you can, look, you can look at all the numbers in the world and, you know, the game doesn't necessarily play out that way. But, you know, I mean, one of the things that struck me about the, the Islanders, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't against the Flyers this year, but against the rest of the league, you know, I think one of the biggest differences between the Islanders now and the regular season is that they weren't a very—I mean, they could not score five on five this year. This year, they were minus ten at five on five. They gave up fewer five on five goals than the Flyers did, but they only scored 121. Um, you look—you look at the the series they just played against the Caps. Well, five on five goals in that series are 11-3 in their favor. So they've—they've uh, they've at least for the time being figured out that problem in, in a big way. Um, you know, I—I I, I think also one of the one of the real challenges of playing the Islanders are they are one of, if not the, the biggest teams in the NHL, very heavy team, lots of six foot plus 200 plus pound guys who are very hard to take off the puck. They, you know, and they led the NHL in hits and they led the NHL in block shots. And that's a big part of their identity. And that's something that has not changed in the playoffs. They, you know, very physical hockey team and, and a team that doesn't let a lot of pucks get on net. I mean, you know, Rolamov is a good goaltender. But uh, there have been a lot of nights when, you know, he's seen all the shots. Even even look in the playoffs, you know, he has yet to see a 30-shot game against them. And um, I think about five or six of the games have been about 22 to 25, 26 shots. So that's a reasonable workload as long as he's seeing the pucks, and for the most part he has. So, you know, that's something the Flyers are going to have to be very patient with because 
Uh, the Islanders don't mind getting outshot, even in you know even the Washington series. They they didn't you know, the Islanders didn't generate a lot of shots, but uh, you know they but they block so many and and they they counter I and mean, they have they have speed when they're able to get down the ice too. So they you know they they present some different challenges. I mean if you look at guys who the Islanders seem to have several guys on that team that have hurt the Flyers over the years, whether it's Barzo, uh, Bovillier has just been great in general in the playoffs. Josh Valley seems to hurt the Flyers at key times. Even, even a guy like Cal Clutterbuck, for, for yeah. crying out loud, has hurt the Flyers over the years. So, you know, it's just, uh, you know, but I mean, they're, they're, they're a team that the Flyers play to the top of their game. If you look, if you look at the regular season, at least the regular season numbers, the Flyers were the better team in most categories, well, pretty much every category. You know, more goals scored, um, you know, a little, little slightly lower in goals against average. Uh, the Islanders are, yeah, the Islanders, even these playoffs, they have, you know, they're not scoring much on the power play. They weren't much of a power play team in the regular season. The Flyers are going to have to figure out their own power play, obviously. But I, I think that that's a team that if, if you take, take the Islanders' A game against the Flyers' A game, I think the Flyers will be fine. But the issue being was that in the Montreal series, the Flyers never really had that all-around, you know, complete effort on both sides of the puck, and they they have to get back to, you know, to back to that, back to kind of what they were doing in the the round robin. It's real interesting when you look at the Islanders this season, too, Bill. Um, they went on a run where they got points in eighteen straight games. They won right. ten straight from October 12th to November 5th. And they lost a game, but they got a point because it was an overtime loss. And then they went on to win five uh, or six more games in a row. Uh, or five more games in a row. Um, they did a lot of their movement and, you know, stability in the standings in that first two months of the season. And I can't find a team in the NHL that over, you know, maybe that the pause helped more to kind of get their feet back under them than the Islanders. They lost seven straight heading into the pause. Uh, you couple that and they lost 11 of their last 13 heading into the pause. Um, they were a team that had the season kept on going likely would have found its way based on the way they were playing, not even in the playoffs. But they come in, they take care of business against Florida, who didn't seem to really have a whole heck of a lot for them. And then uh, they seem to me to face a very disinterested Caps team. And you look at the teams that have won the Cups in the last three seasons, they're all gone. They all looked the same, yeah. disinterested to me. Um, so I'm just wondering how good this team is heading into this series. They're getting a lot of love because they dispatched two teams relatively easy with only two total losses. But is it an indication of who they are or kind of who they played against? I, th I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I think that, you know, typical of a, of a Trots team, they are, are very disciplined, well-coached. You know, they, they, hound, they hound the puck. They make you fight for every inch of ice. And I agree with you. Washington particularly did not have the desire to, to fight for space. Yeah. In a lot of cases, you know, they, they, they took the perimeter shots that the Islanders were giving them and, you know, and uh, when the Islanders were getting in and, and hitting them and making them really work, you know, they outworked them by a, by a large margin. So I think, I think it's a little bit of both that uh, really the Capitals didn't, didn't bring much of anything and the Islanders were relentless on them. But I, you know, but I, I think that, you know, I think, I think they're, <laughs> let's put it this way. I, it, you know, you also have to catch a team, at the right time and sir, the, the capitals just never seem to, to pull it together at all. So, you know, I, I do think it's a combination of both, but I, I don't think you, I don't think you read too much into how one series goes into the next one. I, I think that there's, I don't think series, I don't think momentum carries from one series to the next. I think every series kind of takes on its own personality and it takes, 
you know, not never even just one game. It takes a couple of games for that personality of the series to start to emerge. And I think that'll be the same case here. I don't, I don't think you go by the regular season series. I don't think what you go, I think you go by what the teams in the previous series. I think you, you look at what the team identity is and how you match up. And it doesn't always, doesn't always play out how it matches up on paper, but, but I think just based on, you know, what the relative strengths and weaknesses are of the two teams is really, you know, it gives you a, gives you a, a framework and then you see how that framework actually fills out as, as you move along. Yeah. It's a great point. And I, and I go right back to last year's playoffs because uh, the Islanders come into last year's playoffs. They match up against the Pittsburgh Penguins in round one, and they sweep the Penguins. And, th- I mean, 4-3 yeah. win in overtime, 3-1, 4-1, 3-1, and Penguins are gone. Then the next round comes, and they get swept, and they can't score. They score a total of five goals in the next series against Carolina and get swept. So that, that momentum is very fleeting, and it does not travel, certainly from pre-pause to post-pause or series to series. Um, Bill, one of the things with this, uh, you know, the Flyers and attacking an opponent like this, and you bring up their size, it's almost like going through California circa 2014 and those big heavy yep. teams that were out there. Yeah. Um, and that's going to lead to roster decisions because of that size, their ability, you know, to win board battles with that size and the skill that they present up front. And Elaine Vigneault is going to have to consider that when, you know, initially coming up with his, his lineup uh, for game one. Uh, it doesn't maybe it doesn't lend to Shane Gostisbehere, who I thought played well in game number six. But um, let, let's look at the defense first. How, how should Elaine Vino go in, in attacking the Islanders and, and fielding his uh, defensive core? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, Shane's kind of back in the same situation he was in before because um, you have you have five of the six guys are set, um, you know, and, and Justin Broad did not have his best of series against Montreal, but he, he's a fixture in the lineup. He was so good in the second half of the season. He's not, he's not coming out. Um, so it does come down to, you know, whether you, you go for the bigger, stronger, more physical defenseman in Hague to, to go muscle to muscle with uh, some of the Islanders followers. And also you have to consider the fact that as a duo, as a pairing, Hague and, and Braun have seen for whatever reason, who, who, knows, who knows why sometimes, they seem to click better together than, than Gossis Bear and Braun have. So unless you're moving, you know, Gosses Bear somewhere else in the lineup or you're doing the mix and mixing and matching of pairings, I don't think I want to see Gosses Bear with Braun again. That's something else to consider. But but in terms of the relative strengths and weaknesses, yeah, I mean I, I think that you you need some guys who can match up physically. Of course the flip side being too, well how do you combat a team like that and that's also maybe not as fast as Montreal? Well you want to have the guy who's the puck mover. So it's definitely you know it's definitely a tough decision to make. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, my inclination is you go with the guy that got you there. I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think Ghost, he was, he was tremendous in game six of that series. He was great in the, the last game of the round robin. Game one of the Montreal series, his analytics were brutal. I mean, the underlying numbers were terrible, the worst on the Flyers' defense, and over 50-something seconds a shift. But I thought that by the eye test, he played a lot better than the numbers looked. And in game two, I, I just thought that well, everybody struggled. Everybody struggled on the blue line, on out. And, you know, he was, he was one of the guys that struggled, so they, they made the change. So, you know, I, I think he's played one decent game, had one really rough game, and had one very good game. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you can always, you can always change. You can always adjust as you, as you go along. But I, but I do think they're going to look at Montreal's size and physicality, and we'll see tomorrow. Maybe I could be completely wrong. But um, I, I would – I would think he goes back towards, towards Hague for game one, but we'll see. 
Yeah. And see, I think, and I see a lot of it on social media with that consideration between Robert Haig and some, and social media wise, Justin Braun as well and ghost. And I think people, you know, in their, in their undying loyalty to Shane and, and I get it. And, and it makes sense from the standpoint of, you know, you consider his upside and certainly he is a, a very high upside player, but the one thing I think people are missing on social media when they don't consider this is the downside. You have to consider both. Um, while offensively, Robert Haig's not going to give you ever what Shane Gostaper potentially can. But he also, at, in certain situations, isn't going to have the downside that Shane has in regards to defending. So I think people need to consider both ends of the spectrum instead of just the ceiling end of it. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think uh, Shane is underrated at, he's very good at breaking up plays in the neutral zone. He has a quick stick. Once you get the puck past him and he has to go back and retrieve it and, you know, fight off the forecheck and, and maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe have a battle on the boards or around the net, he's a liability. And he tries. It's not that, you know, Shane, Shane is one of the smallest players on the ice. And, and, uh, and he tries to compensate as best he can. But once, you know, once you're in your own zone, you know, that, that's where Haig has the advantage. Actually, you know, without the puck on the stick. I mean, with the puck on the stick, Goss there will always be the better passer and can, you know, can take the puck out of the zone himself. So he offers that as, that as well. But in the trenches, which is where a lot of the battles are fought this time of year, I mean, Haig, Haig has that advantage. No question. Let's look up front, Bill, because uh, Elaine Vigneault didn't just make changes to his lineup uh, in game six out of necessity, obviously with Niskanen out. And then obviously with Nicholas Albe-Kubel not available. Uh, but he also changed a lot of lines. He moved Giroux back into the center position on the third line. Uh, opted not to use Scott Lawton in the middle and put him on a wing. Moving Derek Grant to a wing. I mean, this plethora of centers is crazy. But um, when you look at the situation in, in this matchup against the Islanders, um, there's guys obviously that he wants to get going. And Travis Konechny is one of those guys. Claude Giroux is one of those guys. Sean Couturier is one of those guys. James Van Riemsdyk. What do you anticipate yeah. from a line combination standpoint up front? You know, I, I liked what I saw from from uh, Lawton and and JVR in the wings with with Giroux. It was the first game of the series where I, I thought that JVR was noticeable in the offensive zone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's funny in game two uh, he actually made two pretty nice defensive plays, um, and he actually didn't you know by you know he had a, he actually did not have a bad year from an all around you know from a two-way play standpoint, he's become better that way. But you, you don't have JVR in the lineup for his defense, you know. And, and really, that was the only game of the series where I thought he was buzzing around the net a little bit, winning some battles. You know, Giroux was finding him a little bit. And, you know, now mind you, the Flyers weren't generating a lot of shots in general, so this is more more first-period stuff and maybe a, a little bit maybe a little bit in the third. But I, but it looked like it looks like some signs of progress, at least. At least, you know, at least also power play, too, which has been a mess. You know, they had you know, they had maybe one good look at the net, and he was in the middle of that. So I would keep that line together for one more game is what I'm saying. Um, you know, I mean, Drew ultimately is better off on, on left wing, but if you're spreading it, if you're spreading up the wealth a little bit and Farabee's been scoring on regular, he scored in Couturier's line, and, you know, he scored one on, on, on uh, Kevin Hayes' line as well. So, you know, I, I think if you're, if you're doing that and you're, you know, and, and you're happy with – being able to, to try to spread the wealth and get some guys going. I'm fine. I'm fine with that as the third line. And, 
you know, I, I mean, Grant does offer the versatility of moving him around. If, uh, you know, if you put him on the fourth line with, with Grant and, uh, and, and Nate Thomas and, uh, Nate Thompson rather, and, and, and doing that with, uh, uh, Tyler Pillock on the other line until, until Abe Kubel comes back, I think that's not a bad fourth line. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, the Islanders have some depth down the middle. You're going to have to match their depth down the middle. Um, so if, you know, you're going to have something between, you know, between the Couturier and Hayes lines and your, your fourth line. So if Giroux's in the third line, he could get some potentially favorable matchups and he's still on power play one. So to me, to me, that's worth a look on another game. Uh, I didn't think that Grant had a very good series overall against Montreal. So moving him to a wing, I, I thought was a, you know, something worth a look. And, you know, from, from game to game, he, I mean, you know, he changed lines even within games a lot, moving Michael Roffel up to the top, and it, it worked for him. Actually, the Flyers might have scored one, you know, quote-unquote pretty goal the whole series, and it was, uh, was Roffel's. So, you know, the, the snipe he had against, um, uh, against Carey Price. And it was funny, too, because Marty Buron tweeted afterwards that actually, uh, actually Price is a little off-angle on that goal, and it didn't look mm-hmm. off-angle to me, but as a goal, he would know. That he he's said lined that he, up to the body. Yeah, with yeah. the spot now with the puck. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then you go back and you watch and he was right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just that little bit of shading, uh, in that case to his short side leaves the long side. It makes it very difficult on a goalie because he, he shot it from where price was coming from, not to where he was going. Uh, that makes it a little bit more difficult, certainly as well. Uh, Bill, I, I really want to see a combination, and this is a bit of a throwback, but I want to see the Couturier Giroux. Travis Konechny combination again. We saw it a couple years ago under Dave Haxtall, and that line was really dynamic. Um, Elaine has not gone into into that line that I recall this entire season, but with Konechny struggling right now and all three of those players not scoring per se, uh, I think it would be something that would be pretty interesting to see at some point. Maybe we do, maybe we don't, but uh, to me I'm really interested yeah, in that, that combination. That would be worth a look. If you, if you remember early this season – what was the Flyers' best line? It was Couturier with Lindblom and Konechny. Yeah. Right. Obviously, uh, obviously, Oscar is still a little ways from coming back, but you know, hey, anything that gets gets you know gets these guys going offensively is worth a look. You don't have to be wedded to any particular combination. You cannot, and you can always switch back. That's one of the things with hockey too. Hey, it's not working. Switch back. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the power play bill is something that in the one game they had the three power play goals. One was on the major yeah. to Kakaniemi and. Uh, we were able to get one uh, one more in game number five. Uh, game number six, it went cold again, although I thought they generated some decent looks and decent chances. But um, is this just a situation where um, maybe everybody's squeezing a little bit on the power play at, at this point when they do get set up? Uh, getting set up's a whole other conversation, but um, eventually the dam's got to break here, doesn't it? I, I would think so. You know, I mean, there's there's all the different elements to it. They, they, they're good at winning the draws, the initial draws, but they were really struggling for a while in generating entries. I thought later in the series, the Flyers were were figuring that out. Um, they were, whether it was, uh, you know, chip and chase and, and recovering in the corner, being getting in fast on the forecheck, or, or sometimes in, some clean entries. You know, I thought that was getting better. And, and the game, even the game before, uh, they had the three power play goals. I thought in game four, it was getting, getting close. Uh, game five, they had the, the three, the, the two and the five-minute major, and then Farabee's goal that uh, briefly tied the game in the third period. So that, you know, and then 
in uh, game six, I thought the first power play, though they didn't score, they generated significant pressure. And then it really kind of yeah, fizzled out for the, you know, the other opportunities there. So, yeah, I mean, they have to, they have to gain the zone. They have to get the puck moving. They have to get traffic in front. And, and listen, I mean, you know, Claude Giroux had hit the post in game one of there, but he was really having trouble putting pucks on that when he would shoot it. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't, that's, that's not going to stay that way forever. I, I think that, um, you know, at, at some point they'll, at some point it should click again. You just hope it's sooner than later. And yeah. the, I am a little concerned with the second unit because I don't think the second unit generated much of anything in any game. Yeah, so. no, you're right about that. And there's a limited amount of time they can practice and, you yeah. know, work on those type of things inside the bubble. A couple back-to-backs in this series. Boy, I hate the fact that potentially there could be a back-to-back in a game six and seven. That's really brutal. Yeah, brutal yeah. to me. Uh, Bill, um, last thing. Um, the Dallas Stars are a team that in the regular season were 29th in the NHL in goal scoring. Uh, and through the first part of the Calgary series, you saw they were still struggling to score. And then all of a sudden – Joe Pavelski gets a hat trick, ties a game with 12 seconds left. They win it in overtime. They end up steaming their way past Calgary the rest of those playoffs. And then they go and face a team that looked invincible in the Colorado Avalanche, and they hang it on them as well. It's weird, the playoffs, because even a team that was 29th in the league in scoring, and I say this because the Flyers in that first round actually got outscored, won the series in six games, scoring 11 goals. Um, goals can right. come at any time it, it, in, in the regular season or what you've done in this playoff so far really is not an indication all said and done though. How does this series play out for you? Uh, I think it's going to be a long series, a very physical series. You, I don't, I don't think that the, uh, you know, the 12 and six from game one on, on both teams are going to be there for the duration. I think you're going to see some guys in and out, you know, you never want to see injuries, but I, but I think it will be a you know a, a pretty chippy, nasty series. <laughs> it's often the case with the Islanders; they, they they have one of the you know one of the nastier teams around. Actually, um, you know, they try to get under your skin. Also, guy guy you know guy like Casey Sezikas is, is a guy who's getting under guys' skin all the time. He's one of the smaller guys that they have, but you know, but I I think that it'll be you know a, a pretty nasty series in that regard. And the Flyers and the Islanders seem to play a lot of those kind of funky games with each other anyway. Um, I actually, you know, I know that the Islanders are the fashionable choice teams going in. Honestly, I think as long as the Flyers can get some of their top end guys scoring and match the Islanders' defensive effort, because it, it will take a lot of patience to attack against them. That's just a constant. Um, the Flyers defended, you know, even you know we were talking about their their closeout ability. So as long as the Flyers can, you know, match that match that effort level and be relatively clean with the puck. Um, the Islanders will turn some pucks over. They have some skill guys, but they will turn some pucks over. So I think that, you know, ultimately, I think the, ultimately, I think when you look at the teams top to bottom, you know, I think it's a winnable series for the Flyers. But I'm going to say Flyers in seven. Ooh, wow. Well, that's going to be yeah. stressful. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no doubt yeah. about that. Yeah. And look, we'll see if the goaltending uh, on both sides holds up to to the level it has. Varlamov. Uh, has been very good for the Isles. Carter Hart, obviously, been very good for the Flyers, and that'll be another storyline to follow in this series and kind of an old Patrick Division matchup here between the Flyers and Isles. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, Bill, thanks for doing this, and uh, series gets underway tonight, 7 o'clock against uh, the New York Islanders, round number two as the march towards the Stanley Cup continues. Thanks. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. Thanks to Claude Giroux for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. And thanks to you for listening. Game one is coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. We'll have the pregame show for you at 6.50. 
on 97.5 The Fanatic and the Flyers Broadcast Network. In the meantime, tonight, everybody, enjoy your hockey. It's round two. Philadelphia Flyers and New York Islanders, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode of Flyers Daily.